My name is Ben Beard, and I own Redcliffe Homes in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I'm searching for the top tips and tricks of the trade from experts in the construction industry. Welcome to the Ben Beard Show. Our guest today is Anatoly with Paradigm Next. Anatoly, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Ben. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about you and, and your business. Tell me a little about yourself. So Paradigm Next is a strategic agency that helps companies in the built world align their sales, marketing, and operations. So what we found oftentimes, well, a couple of things that we found is, first of all, marketing and sales often work in uh, silos. Marketing is doing their thing and not necessarily being supported by sales, and sales are always complaining about the fact that they don't have the right leads or enough leads. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately, it's the operations of the company that have to be able to support both. You know, you it's been said before that great advertising makes a bad product fail faster. So you want to make sure that all three of those are aligned. Um, kind of what sets us apart from everybody else is we don't have any specific product to sell. We're not an SEO company. We're not a web company or a social company. We look at the company, look at their needs, look at their customers, understand where the company is at today, where they're going, help them set that direction, and then see what pieces need to be put in place to, to actually get there. And we work almost exclusively in the built world. So with companies that are in the construction and real estate space. Okay. Gotcha. So you're, do you provide those services that you're recommending or you recommend service providers? Um, both. So we have some of our in-house team, um, for example, with copywriting, we have an in-house copywriter, but oftentimes if it gets specific into a specific industry, specific vertical, I'd rather source somebody that knows that industry inside and out and is able to jump in without without having to kind of spin their wheels trying to understand the industry piece of it um for development design and so forth we have our core teams that we work with Um, we also oftentimes work with our clients teams if they have somebody they've been working with but that are great in execution but just need the right sense of uh, direction so Mm -hmm. it's a hybrid model of both okay but you're primarily focused on strategy and and advising rather than hey let me sell you my service that i offer so exactly so we we break out kind of what we do into three buckets we have strategic advisory we have program management and then we have tactical execution so strategic advisory is where we look at the company put together a plan of action put together the kpis make recommendations talk to the stakeholders and put together a plan kind of a a forward moving plan Oftentimes, consulting companies and advisory agencies end, you know, on this report that they deliver. And most companies get this report, they don't really know what to do with it next, which is where the second phase of what we do kicks in, and that's the program management. We help source the talent, put the project together, hire them, give them the scope, oversee it, accept their work, provide feedback, and so forth. And then the tactical execution part, that's all those either in-house team members or third parties that are generating copies, sending out emails, setting up CRMs, web, uh, social content, uh, strategic alliances, uh, association affiliations, and so forth. Gotcha. But all, all related to sales and marketing, not on home building operations. All related to sales and marketing of home building operations. So besides sure. everything else, um, we sit on the board of the National Association of Home Builders. Uh, I'm the vice president of the Chicago Land Chapter, uh, Building Industry Association, and so forth. So we stay very entrenched in the industry. We see 
what others are doing, what is the, you know, what, what is their competition doing, but mo most importantly, what is the feedback from their customers and how we need to position them for their customers. Cool. So how did you get into that space? You know, it, it, it kind of a roundabout way. So I was in the residential finance space until 2009. I had a mortgage company. My partner was on the commercial banking side of things, working with associations on special assessment financing for bigger projects. Then 2009, the kind of rug got pulled from under us with the yeah. real estate bubble. And we both wanted to see what was next. Uh, went into completely different directions. I went into kind of the tech startup world. Uh, she went into media and publishing. And after doing that for a few years, a couple of years, you know, Paradigm Next was born as an agency because we saw a huge disconnect with, with the same a lot of problems that we were having. It's everybody understood they had to go digital in 2010, 2011, but nobody really knew where to start, especially in the built world, especially in construction, just because it's an industry that's a little bit not behind the times, but it's one that's more built on relationships and handshakes. And it wasn't until a few years ago that we really started to see the pivot and through COVID where we saw really a transformation. Um, started doing that. We were industry agnostic in the beginning. But we were working with everybody from uh, startups to salons to just about anybody else because it's a new business and sure. revenue, you know, cash was king. But after a couple of years, we started to look back on where are we performing the best? Where are we seeing the best results? Where are our clients the happiest? And we saw a trend that all of the, where we were really shining and where our clients were the happiest was always in the built world. It's an industry we understood. We had built ourselves before. We dealt with builders before. It, it was our industry. So we started um, kind of firing some of our clients, started tapering off and focusing purely on built world. And it's been great since then because we're a lot more entrenched in the industry. We know a lot of the players from, from the financing side to the associations, to the media, to recruiting and so forth. And when we step in, we step in with a ton of expertise. You know, we, we, we could hit the ground running from day one. And more importantly, we're not trying things out on our customer's dollar. Um, we're able to validate a lot of our ideas by calling our existing networks. So if we have a manufacturer or material supplier that's looking to sell into the industry, we're not going to start running test campaigns. We're going to call the people who are their ultimate buyers. We're going to find out what it's going to take. What is the competition? Who are they buying from now? What would be the differentiator that would make them switch? And then we make sure that we cater our recommendations and our plan around that. Oh, okay. So are you, do you get into a lot of uh, kind of data analysis, data collection um, as far as home buying prospects and, and kind of how, how to target specific demographics? So if we're looking at that, so we don't do that um, ourselves. We do work with third party that are kind of data uh, aggregators and do the analysis. We do more of the sentiment analysis, analysis to see what's going to resonate, how to get them to convert. Um, but as far as the actual prospecting piece of it, that's something that we hand off to to third parties that are a lot better versed at it. And there's a lot of data out there that's readily available that can be purchased and just decimated for our own purposes. Um, most of the clients that we work with aren't uh, consumer facing. A lot of them are selling within the industry. So we work with security and fire alarm companies that are selling to multifamily builders to put in you know, the, the, the entire security and uh, kind of life safety and security uh, infrastructure of buildings. 
We work with um, AV companies that do everything from structured cabling and beyond. We work with backend security um, kind of prop tech companies that are meeting some of the needs right now of new laws that are coming out for safety, for giving first responders access to, to the security systems as they get on site and so forth. So a lot of our a lot of our clients are in the industry selling to the industry more so than in the industry selling to a retail market. Interesting. So you mentioned did you, did, um, that you had built before. Did you have a background in construction before you got into sales and marketing? I did. I mean, it wasn't really a background in construction. It was, you know, by, by happenstance in the early 2000s, I had a mortgage company. I had a mortgage company, okay. builder's right. company for mortgages that turned into, can you do, you know, private hard money loans. I started doing private hard money loans. There was a project here and there that I ended up taking over as a result of that. Then those same builders that I did hard money for uh, brought me in as a partner on a couple. And then ultimately I had my own project. Um, there was, you know, kind of where I grew up right next to where I grew up. There was the, the rich part of town where they had a minimum mm -hmm. of uh, one acre lots always as I was growing up. So all the rich kids lived there. Um, and as Kind of, I, I was getting a little bit more into construction. They had a variance in their code where they allowed a 384-acre plot to develop 384 homes, even though each plot was probably about a third of an acre to a half of an acre, with the rest being dedicated to roads, parks, and everything else. So it was the first variance that that village ever gave, allowing for these smaller lots, smaller homes, and what was traditionally a very affluent area. And I ended up buying there and starting to build. And uh, unfortunately, that's when 2008 happened. Um, so my, 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 that, that, that's where my construction practice, when I went in kind of, when I went all in and decided to actually develop a, a, a chunk of properties, the yeah. market shifted on me. But before that, I built you know a few single family homes here and there. It was never a primary thing and did a couple of uh, rehabs. Okay. But financing them enough and talking to these builders enough gave me enough of a understanding of the industry. And then over the last 10 years, working with our clients in commercial real estate, sitting on the boards, I've gotten a much deeper understanding of, of both the industry, the customers, and kind of where, where this industry is going. Okay, gotcha. So you did, did a little bit of building. That didn't work out, obviously, for, for a lot of people. Um, and now you've pivoted into supporting the building industry. What is, so tell me kind of what is, what is your, who's your ideal client and what is your sales pitch to them? What do you offer to, to them? So our ideal client is somebody that's been in business for, you know, for at least a few years, somebody that is B2B selling to other businesses in the, preferably in the industry, whether it's construction again, or real estate, this could be somebody that's selling to property management firms. This could be somebody that's selling a prop tech solution to, to the construction industry for you know, managing on-site projects, whatever that might be, managing field techs and so forth. Uh, our typical customer has about 10 million plus in revenue, has an executive team consisting of at least uh, two people. Um, and again, it, it, primarily it's that, that, that they're B2B, is that they're selling to other businesses and not necessarily a consumer channel. Um, our sales pitch to them is, is simple, is that we understand your industry. You could hire a marketing agency, you could hire an SEO company, and you're going to be paying them for them to learn something about your industry. And they're going to learn just enough to be dangerous with what they're doing, but they won't really understand the ins and outs of the industry. But more importantly, 
they're going to be focused on what it is that they're doing, what they were tasked to do. So you heard somewhere that you need to be doing better SEO. You're going to hire an SEO company and that SEO company is going to tell you, you don't need a website. You don't need social. You don't need email. You don't need a CRM. As long as you do the right SEO, you're a winner. The problem is that's not always the case. Right. This SEO drives traffic to a site. That site has to be able to convert. If that site is not converting, it has to be a lead capture mechanism to capture those leads. Once you have those leads, you have to have a communication strategy. How are you going to be reaching out to these people, keeping them engaged? Once you do engage them and they go to Google and look you up, you have to have content there that supports whatever it is that you're telling them. And it's not just on the ads that they, you know, that they were served in the first place, but that there is some press, that there is industry recognition, that there's subject matter expertise and so forth. And all of these things have to be aligned. And this is all before they actually call you. Now we got all those things aligned and they called you. Do your salespeople understand the marketing that got this phone to ring? When they're picking up the phone, do they know why that person is calling to begin with? And do they know how to deliver you know, on that core message? And then once they deliver and you're actually able to sell the product, is it the right time for you with all the supply chain shortages and everything else we're having right now? Sales might not be your biggest challenge. That might not be what you should be working on to begin with, but you hired this SEO company that's driving the traffic. So what makes us different is that that would never happen, is that we would look at holistically at the global, what is it? Where are you right now? Where do you want to be 12 months from now? Where do you want to be five years from now? What capabilities do you have of actually getting there? What's your capacity for business right now and in the future? What indicators do we have to look at? Not what's happening now as far as sales, because that's too late already. That's a lagging indicator. But what are your leading indicators? How much again traffic are you driving? How much engagement are you getting? How much referral business are you looking at? What does your pipeline look like? You might be super busy right now because you're backed up on materials or whatever it is, but you're forecasting that six months to a year from now, those problems will dissipate and suddenly you need that influx. Well, if your sales cycle is a year, you shouldn't start looking at it a month before. You should be looking at it today. Now, if your sales cycle is a month, then you should be ignoring it today because the worst thing you can do right now is start advertising a product you can't sell. So mm -hmm. that's what ultimately makes us different. Well, that's, that's very interesting. Um, kind of a different different business so you're not necessarily looking to work with home builders directly but a, a sub or supplier that's selling to a home builder or a manufacturer that's creating products for the built environment sure. um so we, we we do work with home builders sometimes um especially the larger home builders so they're building we have we've worked with like village green we've worked with uh, verde apartments and so forth where they have thousands of units and there's opportunity there we also would love if there's any new building that's in a space we'd love to talk to them if we could give them advice and so forth um, through our affiliation with the national association of home builders i highly recommend that they join there's a ton of educational opportunities networking opportunities um, access to people like us but we are one of a massive group of others where they could really tap into these resources and understand more and we could guide them on what is it that they need and possibly connect them with a more consumer-centric agency if that's you know, truly what they need right now, or give them recommendations on things they could or should be doing in-house until they get to a state where they're ready for that. So I'm curious, um, and I, uh, last night was just, uh, as, as we record this in, in December, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think what the right word is, but was 
uninstalled as the as the president of my local home builders association. I'm retiring from that for the at the end of 2021. I'm handing the reins to the next president. Um, so I definitely appreciate your engagement and involvement with the home builders association. To you as as a non-builder, as an associate member of the association, what is the value for you? What what brings you to to be putting a lot of time and energy into the home builders association, whether that's locally or or nationally? So a couple of things. Um, if you have, you have to keep in mind that the Builder Association is comprised of about 30 to 40%, depending on the chapter of builders, and then everybody else are the associate members. Right. It's the associate members that are my customers, um, especially on, on the bigger side of things. So like on a national level, I am on the Global Opportunities Board. So Global Opportunities, that's international companies, manufacturers, material suppliers that are looking to sell into the US market. We're a perfect fit for that. Um, to, to open up doors for them to understand how the market here might be different in, you know, from other markets that they are uh, currently in, how to position themselves, how to build up and, and where to go from there. So while it's the, you know, the association for home builders, it's 60% not home builders, which, which we align with extremely well. The second part of it and what got me really excited was Chicago was the first chapter of the National Association of Home Builders. They kind of started, you know, they're the ones that started. Huh. Uh, after 2009, they lost all the associations, lost the, the lion's share of their members. And Chicago was one of the chapters that really never um, recovered. It just through, as a result of a variety of reasons. So when I joined up about a year and a half ago, there was rumbling and conversation around the fact that we're going to grow beyond an HBA, grow beyond being a home builders association and rebrand it as a BIA, which is a building industry association, because it was kind of limiting. We had some members that were larger production builders, multifamily builders, and they didn't feel that the home building environment was right for them. And same thing was happening with some of my clients as I was talking to them about their association. And while it's relevant, because they could sell into and meet with those multifamily builders, because they could be part of the advocacy and enacting new laws or preventing laws from coming, you know, coming on is going to prevent construction and prevent them from selling their materials and their services. A lot of the pushback that I got was I don't work with home builders because, you know, when you hear home builder, you're thinking of the one-off guy that's building, you know, three, four homes a year and that's it, which is great. And at the end of the day, I think probably about 70% of the homes built in the U S are by these smaller, uh, by these smaller builders. But what a lot of these uh, manufacturers have to understand is that through the HBAs, there's a, there's a scale component to it, is that you're not selling to the one-off builder that's building three or four homes, you're selling to the 20,000 builders that are collectively building 100,000 plus homes, which is more mm -hmm. than any large-scale builder out there. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, that's my interest there. And like our clients right now include HBA rebates, for example. HBA rebates is a rebate program offered to all HBA uh, member builders and remodelers. They work with over 50 of the top manufacturers to provide a loyalty incentive program for builders to use uh, their products. The problem is because the HBA is run by, you know, there's a national level, there's a state level, and then there's the local chapters. Oftentimes that communication doesn't go down line. And a lot of the local chapters don't even know that this is a benefit that they have to help them drive new members or to retain existing members where you know, the average rebate is, I think, about $1,800 per year. The average cost of uh, joining an HBA is probably about $700 per year. So you have 200% ROI that you could be pitching on every single call to a new builder. 
uh, we help them with that mess. We're helping them with that messaging. We're helping them get the word out, engage more builders. So again, understanding that being a part of the HBA helps us position our clients better within the industry. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's neat to see that as a supplier getting involved up, or I guess kind of downstream like that. That's I mean smart from your standpoint to get in the get in the room with all of your your prospects. Yeah, get get us in the room with prospects, but more importantly, honestly, than getting us in the room with prospects, it's keeping our ear to the ground. I know what's going on in the industry, and I can validate. So more important than prospect, I'm not I'm not looking at the HBA as a sales tool as much as I'm looking at it as a value add tool for our customers. So if I need to validate something, we're bringing on HBA rebates as a client. I am in a perfect position to go and validate with existing builders, existing members, existing. Uh, membership committee chairs and so forth on what's working, what's not. Have you tried using this? Have you not? If you had this, do you think you can do better? And then come back to HBA rebates and say, this is the feedback that I received. This is what will work. This is what won't. Let's not yeah. waste our time on the stuff that won't. That's cool. Uh, why Why are you are you currently in a president role or just involved in association and taking a step back? Yeah, cur currently I've, I've served in 2021. I was, I was the president of the local Las Cruces Home Builders Association. Got it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's been fun. It was a it was a lot um, throughout the year, but it's it's rewarding. It's great to see, you know, builders working together. Uh, builders. I just came from a, a two hour meeting this morning about uh, working with our local public schools, trying to get trade education programs going again, and and augmenting what the work we've done over the last several years to to really launch it into the stratosphere with as far as the results we're getting. And it's, it's been amazing to see, you know, something that I wanted to do on my own as a, as an individual builder. And when I joined uh, the board of the, of the LCH, the Las Cruces Home Builders Association several years ago, there was another builder who had the same idea, but through the Home Builders Association, we got connected and then we've kind of run with it since and got everybody in the board involved and the, the association involved. And as an association, we were then able to go to the schools together and say, here's our plan. Here's what we want to see. And by the way, we have money to back this. And they then took that where if it was just me on my own, it, it would never would happen that, that quickly. So that's fantastic. And I think the, the more of that needs to happen. I know that the yeah. National is also working on that and kind of pushing the trades, pushing the benefit of the trades and why these conversations should be happening at a high school level, that they shouldn't be pushing it you know, for, for college or nothing, where there's this fantastic right. middle ground where we could do the trade school, get done a lot faster, not be burdened with all the insane student loans and have a career, a high paying career where you're you know, set in a year or two after graduating from high school, you have a career and you have some revenue and so forth and start building on that. Yeah. I think it's a great initiative. I think more of that needs to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So just, just I mean, that and, and the results that are going to come from that, it's, it's a long, it's one of those plant a tree and it's going to take a long time before we start to see some of those results that we want to see, but it's it's worth it. But just being in the room with other builders and to me, when, when we all can take off our individual company hats and put on our building the community hats together and go, look, Builder X, Builder Y, you're not my competitors. Together, we make up 10% of home sales. Like, yeah, you're my competitor, but you're nothing compared to the used homes all over town, right? So let's, what can we do as a building industry 
together to help improve our community because used homes don't do that. Uh, the Real Estate Association, at least in Las Cruces, is great. They, they do uh, a lot of good in our community as well. Um, but but home building involves so many people, so many jobs, so much government and regulation that we're able to really be involved deeply in the community and, and try to at least provide a voice for almost all business owners, not just for ourselves and our own specific industry desires. No, absolutely. And it's not just a matter of community building, collective kind of community building, but it's also a little bit self-serving. It's, it's, it's these builders understanding that five, 10 years from now, they're going to need to hire people. And it's going to be more difficult to hire people if these programs don't exist. These programs are going to, yeah. are going to make it easier for them to hire the, the plumber, the HVAC guy, or the carpenter five years from now when there's going to be another uh, kind of shortage on people and people that want to work, people that want to work and people that are qualified and, and, and certified and licensed and so forth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's everybody getting together to build the future of the workforce. Yeah. So, um, Anatoly, how do you see the, the industry, the construction industry changing over the next 10 to 15 years? Well, I see construction changing as a whole. I think there's going to be more kind of that prefab uh, manufactured housing that's going to be built off-site and assembled on-site. I think that's going to be probably one of the biggest trends that we're going to see in the next um, 10 years, just from purely from a standpoint of construction. I see the next couple of years being extremely busy as we fill in the backlog of, of construction that was missed through COVID or construction that wasn't started. Because as much as it was classified as an essential business and you were able to continue projects that you had started, very few were starting new projects just because of the uncertainty. So we have this 18-month gap. And not only do we have an 18-month gap, but we have more uh, disposable income, just more disposable cash right now that has created demand. We have a lot of migration. Um, I, I, I think as a whole, people working more remotely and so forth, but COVID really opened up our eyes to the fact that this is real. You know, I tried working remotely about a year before COVID and I, I spent a month away from the office and it was working okay, except for anything bigger or new. And anything bigger or new, the, the, the response I would always get is let's talk about it when you get back. Well, mm -hmm. the same thing happened during COVID and there was no more conversation, let's talk about it when you get back because we're in the here and now, let's get it done. So yeah. this has really opened up a lot of people's ability to be able to live where they want to live while continuing to work. And obviously the pendulum is going to swing. You know, we went 100% remote. Right now, some companies are demanding everybody go back. And I feel like somewhere in here that we're going to find that balance. But that balance yeah. is going to be that more people are going to be able to work remotely than they ever did before. And it's something that's only going to continue to grow. As a result, that's going to create a lot of demand in places that traditionally haven't had demand or built on top of that demand. I mean, uh, Texas, Florida, Colorado, a lot of these states right now are seeing demand that goes years into the future because that's where people always, you know, for people that always wanted to live there, now they have that opportunity. So I think there, we have a couple of years of run rate on really just catching up with uh, existing demand. So things are looking good. Um, I think the industry is going through a transformation from, you know, from what I'm seeing from a marketing standpoint and so forth. Everything was a handshake deal before everything was, you know, my sales guys know the guys, we have box, you know, seats, we take our customers out, 
And then for a year and a half, that was gone. And they needed to find new methods of communicating. And a lot more went into digital, into CRMs, into social platforms, and so forth. We're seeing a lot of activity right now on the prop tech front on helping these builders manage everything from, from you know, the, the, the actual contractors to manage the financials of a project to do better uh, projections, better design, better drawings, better presentation to clients, better sales office setup and so forth. So I think there's going to be a lot of prop tech that's going to be in interesting for all builders. I think it's going to augment the way that they do uh, business today, everything from the way they show, the way they sale, set up sales offices and so forth. So I think it's going to be an interesting time. And I think the industry is getting younger. There's more young people entering the space. And with that comes a lot of what I kind of said before that. So I think it's going to be you know, good times for the next 10 years um, yeah. and interesting overall. Yeah, uh, I hope so. And, you know, that'll be good, good for 10 years. That's, uh, there is a lot of, a lot of pent up demand. It's just a matter now of can we continue to build it and source the materials and do so in a timely fashion and do it in a way that's supportable for people. Yeah, there, there, there's that. And then the, the, the other thing is, you know, nationwide, we have an affordable housing issue. And um, whether it's with, with the new infrastructure plan or on a more local level that, the, you know, plans that are being rolled out, I think that there's going to be opportunity there once it's done right, not once it's done by committee to where, you know, the city council is requiring 30% of your units to be low income and suddenly you can't build anymore. But actually having, you know, I, I saw a difference in Chicago and um, Colorado. Chicago is going out and demanding that a certain percentage of all units that are built are low income, which is killing a lot of projects. A lot of it just it doesn't make financial yeah. sense to build if you're buying land for so much and so forth. And you have a lot of other problems in Chicago, a lot of the unknowns with, with in Illinois with taxes. And, and then you have this mandate for low income to where builders are just leaving the market versus here in Colorado. Um, like we go to all the, the business events and we went to one of the events and they were talking about the same low income kind of question, but instead of mandating that the builders do it, they went to the communities and they asked, what would you like? Would you like for us to build in these neighborhoods and dedicate 30% or would you like the builder to dedicate a portion of funds so you could build within, so you could revitalize your community so you don't have to move so that it's not, you know, and it was just a much more practical conversation where there were much more practical solutions. So I think as more markets adopt that and, and bring people instead of, you know, tearing them apart and saying it's the builders that don't want to build for you and it's you that should hate the builder that's actually going to bring people together and listen to all the voices in the room and see what makes financial sense for a builder that also wants to participate in the community and what makes sense for the community and as more of that starts to happen and I feel like it will have to happen if we're actually going to get somewhere um, I think there will be a tremendous amount of opportunity there as well yeah absolutely I love that Co collaborative approach mm -hmm. uh, we'll and so a couple of rapid fire questions for you. What is the best advice that you have ever received professionally? What is the best advice I've ever received professionally? Um, I mean, you know, you know <laughs> the, the problem with that is I have several mentors and just there's been so much in my life that, that I, 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 I don't know exactly which one to peg as the best one. Um, understanding what you're doing, focus. You know what? Focus. Focus is probably the one. Um, find your niche and focus on that niche. Um, doesn't matter what you're doing. I have a friend of mine that builds micro apartments. He built these 350 square foot to 450 square foot 
um, co-living spaces. And he has a commercial space, a large commercial space. And I was talking to him that he's had for years and it's been vacant for years. And I was talking to him a few years back about that space and saying, you know, why don't you do anything with it? You've had it, like, let's figure out something. To which he said, I got it before I really fine-tuned my model. And this is my model. Um, right now, unless I could find a way to build micro apartments there, I would rather have it stand there vacant. I'll pay the taxes. I'll pay the expenses. It doesn't matter. I'll do much better by focusing on my niche. If I try to do other things that are outside of my niche, I'm going to spread my attention. It's not going to work as well. Several of our clients that we've gone through this with, like we have a security company that was industry agnostic and they were working with commercial buildings. They were working with industrial manufacturing and with multifamily. It was difficult for them on labor. They were outsourcing a lot of labor. Some jobs were unions, some jobs weren't. Materials, they need a completely different set of vendors for the industrial commercial jobs than they did for the multifamily jobs and so forth. And then a few years back, well, about four or five years ago, they decided, they, again, they did the same thing that we did. And they looked at where do they serve their customers the best? Where are their customers the happiest? Where do they make the most money? Where did they lose the least employees walking off the job because they couldn't deal with it anymore? And they found that it was multifamily. And they shifted their focus to purely multifamily, 300 units plus, that's it. Since the moment they did that, they have 3x their um, revenue. They have cut their expenses while 3x is their, 3xing their revenue by about half because they don't need as many people because there's less unpredictable things. It's mm -hmm. a certain set of products. It's three sets of locks. It's two sets of fire systems. It's two sets of access control systems that work for that. Their engineer now doesn't have to, their software engineer that does all the programming for this, doesn't need to figure out each new system and then how to integrate it with everything else because it's a set of, you know, six different vendors. So now their programming guy is able to, you know, spin these up a lot faster. They're providing a better service to their customer. They're spending less on it. Customers are happier. They're more profitable. So one thing is don't be the, the, the jack of all trades. If you're going to do rehabs, do rehabs. If you're going to build single family homes in a certain area, focus on that area, focus on those style homes. Not to say you can't transition to something else, but don't try to do everything all at once. Yeah. Because as long as you're kind of chasing the dollar on revenue as revenue, you'll never be able to, to build and scale. Yeah, love that. Love that. Well, similar, who have you learned the most from throughout your career? Um, you know, people that were willing to talk to me up until 2009, um, I was young, I was doing well, anybody that was in real estate was doing well in, in the beginning of the 2000s. And I was always the smartest person in the room. And I thought that was a good thing for many, many years. Then after the industry collapsed, and I went into startups and I went into a space that, that I was not comfortable in. I started showing up in rooms where I was not the smartest person in the room. And I found out that there's a lot to learn that I'm not by, by, by any stretch of the imagination. I was just putting myself in the wrong rooms. So since then, and over the course of the last 10 years, I've really tried to surround myself with people that are willing, willing to share. And most people are willing to share if you're willing to listen um, and not pigeonholing myself into you know, well, I'm in marketing, that means I have to have a marketing mentor, quite the opposite. I need to have a very diverse set. I, I need somebody from, you know, packaged goods. I need somebody that's from private equity. I need somebody from uh, publishing, somebody from the sports world, because their perspectives are something that 
I can bring into an industry that I know, but have these outside perspectives. So I think it's not any one person. I think it's being willing to listen and surround yourself with the right people and trying to go beyond your comfort zone with those people, trying to surround yeah. yourself with people that, 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 that aren't saying the same thing you're saying, because then there's nothing interesting that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. That's fantastic. Well, um, I know you're not a builder, but if you could go back to the first job site that you were working on and, or your, or your first marketing client, uh, in the, in the built space, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Well, if I was able to go back to my own project in 2007, I would tell myself stop immediately because 2008 <laughs> is around the corner. But um, outside of that, understanding uh, your customer, a lot of people really focus on their product and on what they have to sell and what they're doing. And at the end of the day, none of that matters. It's what how your customer is going to perceive it. Does the customer need what you're offering them? You know, we've had builders that have come in, let's say a green builder and all the hype is about green building right now, green building, and they start talking about this, not understanding that the customers, the, the, the retail, residential, single family home customers in the $400,000 range, that's not a core focus for them. Or we had a company recently that sells a technology for monitoring foundations. And they decided again to go after a consumer uh, market. They decided to go after uh, people that are either building homes or own homes. And this is a product that has you know, thousands of dollars of upfront costs and the monthly or annual recurring costs for them to monitor it. They are in love with their product. They're engineers. They designed this product, patented it, believe in it. Hmm. What they didn't do is they didn't take the time to talk to their customers and to ask the customer, do you care to know if your foundation has moved an eighth of an inch? Yes, it's got lasting implications. Yes, water could be yeah, a million different things could happen, but do you care? And yeah. not asking that question and not understanding that maybe that's not their market. Maybe it's the condo associations, which are responsible for the exterior of the building and have thousands of properties under management and are not on site to see that when the first week happens. And it's things like this of not listening to the voice of the customer and just charging ahead with a blind belief in your own product and your capabilities where you might have the product and have the capabilities, but listening to the customers will help you align that for success. That's fantastic advice. Well, how can people learn more about you and, and your business and, and get in contact with you? So, I mean, they could always go to our website, which is paradigmnext.com. They could also look us up on the what is soon to be the BAGC, uh, Building Industry Association of Greater Chicago, currently the um, HBAGC, Home Builder Association of Greater Chicago. And then there's the obvious LinkedIn social platforms and so forth where you could find either by my name or Paradigm Next. Um, always happy to talk to anybody in the industry, uh, provide any advice, you know, spend an hour or two with, with, with anybody and see how we can help. Uh, more often than not, it's going to be by way of introduction, but it's those introductions that oftentimes help more than, you know, being sold something they don't need. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with me, Anatoly. Ben, my pleasure. Thanks for listening. I hope that you've learned something from our guest today. The Ben Beard Show is sponsored by Redcliffe Homes. The purpose of this podcast is to help young professionals find mentors in this crazy construction industry that we're in. If you have a story to tell about your road to a successful career in construction, I'd love to hear it. 
please like and subscribe to the podcast to hear from all of our amazing guests. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at The Ben Beard Show.